couple of weeks ago, we started a series of messages on the letters to the churches in Revelation that we're just simply calling Letters from Jesus. And we started it because here we are as a church. We, there, there, there are things that we want to be as a church, things that we feel that God has called us to be. You know, like, uh, for example, we want to live on purpose. We want to live the mission out in our everyday life. We want to love and we want to serve the community in which God has planted us in order to help them see the greatness of God. We, we want to be authentic with, uh, with God and authentic with each other. And we want to serve one another and we want to love Jesus by caring for and serving his bride. All of these things and more. But here's the deal about all of this. We're not innovative in any of this. Uh, this is just the gospel. We didn't think any of that up. We didn't come uh, up with missional living. That's the call of Jesus. We didn't come up with the idea of authenticity. Jesus co constantly calls us to stop pretending and to lay down our mask and to be transparent. We're not innovative. It's just simply our turn. It's, it's our turn to take a run at this thing. It's our turn to, 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 to run this race. The baton has been handed off and it's our turn. We're, we're not the first ones to try this. And that's why we're talking about these seven churches that existed centuries ago in Asia that, the, that Jesus wrote these letters to in the book of Revelation. The idea behind this whole series is that maybe by looking at the letters to these churches and by examining other people who have tried to do this and, and they failed or succeeded, that maybe we can learn from them. Maybe we can learn from their successes. Maybe we can learn from their pitfalls. And maybe we can spot some traps that are waiting for us. And maybe we can be encouraged in some of the things that we're doing. So that's what we've been doing the last couple of weeks. And we've been looking at these other churches and we've been trying to weigh out, okay, what makes them work? What were the pitfalls that they fell into? What were the things that they had to deal with? And this week, we're going to look at the church in Pergamum. Pergamum. Not a, not a city that many people hear from very, about very often, but this is a church, as we're going to see today, the church that started out very well, and then in some ways it just went bad. And surely everybody in this room knows somebody that, that started their walk with Christ so strong, and now they're gone. You know, we're going to study a church that started out so well. In particular, we're going to study one man, that started out really strong, and by the time it's over, it goes really, really bad. And I want to talk this morning about how we can make sure that doesn't happen in our hearts and happen to us as a church, okay? So let's go. The church at Pergamum, Revelation chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. To the angel of the church at, at, in Pergamum, remember when it says the angel there, it's really talking about the word literally means messenger, so this is a letter to the pastor of the church. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. And again, this is Jesus speaking to his church. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So we know that this is a dark place to live where loving Jesus can get you killed, right? So, so they've been faithful through all of that, but now Jesus is going to point out some other things that are going on in their, in their situation. Verse 14, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, likewise you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will come soon to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Uh, interesting passage there. I'm not going to talk about that, but you remember in the Holy of Holies, in the Ark of the Covenant, one of the things, items that were kept inside the Ark was a, was a jar of manna. That was hidden away. So we're talking about the hidden manna. We're talking about being in the very presence of God when, you, when he says that. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it. Again, we're not talking about this, but the white stone was, was something that was given uh, to, a, for example, a runner in a race. 
that when they won the race, when they were victorious, they were given as a symbol of that, a white stone with their name carved on it. So he's saying to them that I'm going to declare you victorious in this, known only to the one who receives it. All right, so aside from those things, you see in the text, text here, then what we're going to focus in on today is that we see that they were tolerating the teachings of Balaam and the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Now, it is interesting that the Nicolaitans were also mentioned in the church to Ephesus. But what we need to know is, is what's happening here with, with uh, the Balaam and with Nicol the Nicolaitans, that there's a little bit of a word play going on because to us, it sounds like two separate things that he's dealing with until you get into the original language, because in the Greek, Nico means to conquer and Laos means the people. So, Nicol uh, so, so the Greek for Nicolaitan means to conquer the people. And then Balaam in Hebrew uh, for, is, is Hebrew for the exact same thing. Baal means to conquer and Ha'am means the people. So both of these can to be defined as as to conquer the people. So he's really talking about one thing, one thing that's going on. And what's going on is that a sect developed within Christianity that decided it was no longer going to follow the teachings of the apostles or the teachings of the Bible. They're, they're going to give Jesus's name to, to who they're going to be and what they want to do, and, but they're going to live it very differently. And so what, what, what it really boils down to is they wanted to label themselves as followers of Jesus, but they were going to live their lives the way they wanted to live them. To, to understand what's going on here, you, you have to understand that their lives were built around trade guilds, that they had to they had to join one of these guilds to do business. In the first century, you know, you couldn't just do business. You had to join a guild. If you were a silversmith, you, you joined the silversmith guild. If you were a CPA, you had to join the CPA guild. If you were a welder, you had to join the welder guild. If, if you were, you know, in the land of Oz, you joined the lollipop guild, I guess, something. I'm not sure. I know somebody was singing that. Somebody was singing that song in their mind right now. But, uh, but, but in these guilds, it wasn't just about the work they did, but they would worship pagan gods. And so what would happen is that they would go to some temple in the ancient world and they would sacrifice foods to this God or that God. They would eat that food and then they would bring in the temple prostitutes and we'll just say it goes bad. It gets a little X-rated after that. But basically what was happening was the Nicolaitans, the, 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 the Balaam and the teachings of Balak, they're saying to the people, listen, you can do that. You can go take part in all of those things and still be a believer because that's just business. And you can separate this all out because you got to do this to do business. So you can do whatever you want. You can partake, partake in all of these things because that's just business. Now, what makes this so difficult and where we're going to spend the majority of our time today is that there are some ancient manuscripts and ancient teachers and church fathers that tell us that the founder and the main teacher of the Nicolaitans was a man by the name of Nicholas from Antioch. Now, all that means is Nicholas from Antioch tells us that we know he was a Gentile who became a believer in Christ before the Acts 15 Gentiles can be saved uh, declaration from the church. But let me show you why this is so hard, because what we need to know is Nicholas is mentioned in Scripture already. But he's not in Scripture as a heretic or an evil man. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. Because in Acts chapter 6, we're, we're going we're gonna to find here the, the, the fastest growing, largest church in the history of the world. Maybe not the largest church in the history of the world, but it's certainly the fastest growing church ever in the history of the world. Because basically the church went from about 120 to like 3,000 in one afternoon. You know, that's a pretty big jump in one day. And there have been some really cool things that have happened in the, in the world and in the church since that afternoon. But nothing has ever happened that fast before or since. And so the church of Jerusalem, they had these 12 disciples over it. And all of a sudden, they go from 120 to 3,000, and you've got these 12 disciples trying to lead this church, trying to disciple this church, trying to teach them about Jesus. And you can imagine, with all of that, there's a little bit of chaos going on. 
There, there's how, how in the world? I mean, you don't have curriculum printed. How are you going to disciple 3000 people who got people who got saved in one day? And so they're trying to do this, trying to take care of things. And on top of that, the church is growing because the Bible says that that there are people being added to the church daily. So it's constantly growing. There's this monumental growth. And I want you to read with me what they did, what happened and what they did in, in Acts chapter six, beginning in verse one. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic, that's just Greek speaking Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews. Those are Jews who spoke Hebrew or the native language because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of, of the word of God in order to wait on table. So they're basically saying here is that, hey, we've got to study. We've got to teach. We've got to pray. We need other people who will serve. We can't do it all. And so that's the call that goes out. Verse three, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be. Listen to that. That's important known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to, to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and, and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and then look at the last one. Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Now, here's the thing. Feeding widows in the first century was not this big thing of honor. It was just a simple act of service that needed to be done. It's like, you know, parking cars or greeting at the door. It's working in the nursery or running the soundboard or any, anything else. It's just an act of service that, uh, for taking care of a need that needs to be done. And, and Nicholas from Antioch is this young man who says, this is awesome. This is so powerful what's happening. Let me help. Let me be part of it. I want to serve. And everybody saw him and they said, this is a young man full of the Holy Spirit and with wisdom. Let's, let's help put him in this position. Question is, how did Nicholas go from Acts 6 to Revelation 2? How did he get from, let me serve, I believe in this, I want to do my part, let me serve, I want to take care of the widows, to Revelation chapter 2. How did he get from one to the one place to the next? And surely it's not too hard to believe that this happened, right? I mean, doesn't it happen all the time? Here's the thing, if we're really honest, all of us want to belong to something. We, we, we want to be part of something bigger than ourselves, even if we're anti something, you know, we we do that with a group, whole group of other people that are also anti something. You know, that's the funny thing about being trying to be an individual, you know, because even if you're trying to be an individual, what you do is you tend to group up with other people who are trying to be the same kind of individual as you are. Right. Like in high school. Anybody remember high school? There, there, there are people who try to dress in an unusual way because they want to be different, right? Right? Funny thing is, there will be like a hundred people all dressed the same way in order to be different. And it's just kind of a funny thing that we do. It's the same thing. We all want to belong. We all want to have friends. We all want to have a place where we can use our natural abilities. But here's the question that I think we need to ask in the church. Could it be? that some in the church find their niche, but they don't actually find Jesus. If I was as lost as I could be, I could go to some, you know, humongoid church and, 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 and I could be there playing intramural sports and riding my motorcycle. I don't have one, but riding motorcycle, with a bunch of other guys that do the same thing. And, 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 I, and, and I'm not hating on that. I think that's great. That's great for community. It's great for getting, for knowing each other. But, but I, I'm just pointing out that, that a church can become a place to belong. I mean, and where else, where else do you get that? You, you don't get that in your neighborhood. You don't find that at work. No, the, the church provides a place for people where they can come and be part of something that's bigger than themselves. And here's the thing about the church. All you have to do is learn the language and you're in. That's all you have to do. 
Just learn the language and you can be huge in the church community. Uh, you know, just a, a timely amen during a sermon, just the right spot, or every now and then just during the message, all you have to do is just do a little, mm-hmm, mm, mm. Mm, that's good, Pastor. That's all you got to do every so often. Uh, and, and, and you do that and you're in and everybody sees you and they're like, oh, look at this. We're so glad. That, but, it, but could it be that some find their niche and they find a place where they find some sense of belonging, but they don't actually find Jesus. They find a place to belong, but they don't find the one who actually gives them life and meaning. And what happens is when people find their niche, but they don't find Jesus, then when real discipleship begins, so does rebellion. See, because if I'm here just because I have a place to fit in, but I'm not really uh, all about following Jesus, then when I try to disciple you, you'll push back on that because you'll say, no, I don't want to live that way. I'm going to live the way I want to live, but I still want to be part of this. Surely this isn't too hard to believe. Not only do we do we know people like that, but I mean, surely all of us have hit the dark night of the soul at some point in our life where we woke up at three o'clock in the morning and we're praying and it feels like nobody's listening or we're reading the Bible and the and the cognitive act of reading is occurring, but it's not reading us. It's not registering. It's not doing anything in our lives. You know, but, but there's something really powerful that happens when scripture reads you. And surely we've been there ourselves where we've had this great beginning, but then we wake up at 3 a.m. in a sea of death doubt and frustration. You know, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and you know, I've never seen that verse on a coffee cup. I've, I've never seen that verse on a t-shirt or on a bracelet or anything like that. You know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and, and because it's because we in America, we tend to like the fairy tale Jesus who just kind of flutters around and sprinkles love on everybody. We don't want fear and we don't want work. We don't want those things. But Paul says that we've got to work it out, which that just doesn't mean that you work it out as trying to make a deal with God. It means that you, you live it out. That's really what it means with fear and trembling. Lest we start out in this really beautiful place and then have it go bad in the end. So do you see what happened here in Acts chapter six? There are people looking at Nicholas saying, this guy is full of wisdom. This guy is full of the Holy Spirit. And then by the time it's all said and done, Jesus in the book of Revelation is saying, I despise everything he stands for. And I despise the fact that you tolerate this. You know, one of the things that we, we want to do around here is that we want to attack Christian ambiguity and by that, I mean that it is that, you know, if I were to stop the message right now and just say the prayer, then everybody would walk out of here saying, yeah, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And, and nobody will have a clue what that means or how it works out in our lives. But we would know how to say it to other people at coffee this week. So, you know, we'd be drinking coffee with somebody and they might actually open up and say, you know, I'm really struggling. And and so we look at them and say, I, I know. Yeah. You know what you need to do? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what you need to do. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. That's what I need to do. And then they get in a conversation with a small group of people and do the same thing. You know, you know what we all need to do, all of us. Let me tell you, we need to work out our, our, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and if that works itself out far enough down the Christian spectrum, then what happens is eventually we, that's when we get it on it. You know, we throw it on a t-shirt or, or we make a, a bracelet. This would be a really long one with the first letter of each initial, you know, of each word on there. And we put that on and, and, and becomes this really ambiguous thing. But, but that's not what we want to do. We want to try to make it real and practical down to earth. So here's the question that we want to answer today. How? do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? How do we make sure that we don't end up in a train wreck of destruction? How do we make sure that, that we stay pure? How do we do this? How do we work out our salvation? 
And I want us to take a look at what it looks like to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And we're going to do it in such a way so that when you leave here today, you can say, okay, I've got some things that I need to look at, some things I need to make sure I need to examine my life with. So if you have your Bible, head over to Hebrews chapter 3. We're going to pick it up in verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. This is what he says. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, now there's a collision of irreconcilable ideas here because he, because first of all, what happens is the author of Hebrews calls, says brethren, brothers, brothers and sisters. He calls us brethren. And what he's saying here, those who believe in Jesus, those who are related to me through the blood of Jesus, he's saying, brethren, pay attention to your heart, lest you find it evil and unbelieving. So how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Number one, pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to your heart. The Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. And in Proverbs 4.23, it says, above all else, Guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. The, the, the wellspring of this life that we talk about here, this rich, rich, deep life, the best possible life, the rich, richness of life that Jesus brings, the wellspring of that is our heart. And the author of Hebrews is saying, pay attention to your heart. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been soul tired? You know what I'm talking about? Not physically tired, but soul tired, where you just don't know if you're going to have the, enough emotional and spiritual energy just to keep going. You know, I have this place in me I can, that I can push to uh, where I get to the place where I'm just done. You know, I think you know what I'm talking about. There, there have been many times that I have reached that point of spiritual and emotional exhaustion. And, and then when I reach that point, I... Something, I always know I've reached that point because something happens like I might watch, how many remember the, the show Undercover Boss? I don't even know if, if it's still on, you know. Anyway, I, I, I love that show. And, and it's, it's always, there's parts of it that's always moving to me. But I know I've reached that point when, when I watch something like Undercover Boss and suddenly I'm watching this program and I'm just this blubbering, sobering mess before, before it's over, you know? So normally I'd watch it and I think, oh, that's cool. That's really nice, you know? But, but after I spend this energy and all my heart doing what God calls me to do, I watch this company CEO, CEO do something amazing for one of his employees and I just become this blubbering moron, you know? I mean, I, I remember a time, same kind of thing. I remember one time, this is back in Reno, I was watching with Aaron, my oldest daughter, we were watching The Sound of Music. It was her first time ever seeing it. And I know for some of you that sounds like torture, but, you know, I, I like it. And, but there's this one scene where the children are singing and the dad comes in and he doesn't like it. But then he starts to sing with the kids. That's all it is. He sings with the kids. And I'm sitting there watching it. And I'm like blubbering and tears are flowing. And I'm like, they're, they're singing with the kids. You know? And I'm, that's when I realized, okay, wait a minute. I'm running on empty here. I am running on empty if seeing this scene makes me totally lose it here. And, and, and it's that moment I'm done and I have to be careful because I'm vulnerable at those times in life. You know, that's the kind of place, you know, where like if a sad com song comes on the radio, you know, it's just like, you know, just sobbing. It's just the way it is. Or, or how about when you're in bed and the TV's finally off and there's no music playing and you're, your spouse is asleep and it's just you. And then your heart begins to whisper to you. Don't, don't we hate that? You know, you're kind of a liar. Hey, you're, you're kind of playing this Christian game, aren't you? you? You don't pray. What are you doing here? You, you go to church, you do all the moral things, but you don't have a relationship with God and your heart starts accusing you. And finally, when your heart punches you hard enough, You'll, that, 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 that you'll listen, then you start talking back, but you start talking back about tomorrow. And you say, well, tomorrow for the first hour and a half of the day, I'm just going to pray. And then I'm going to take oil and I'm going to anoint every door in this household. And we, we start, you know, hyper-spiritualizing things in our heart. Here, here's the thing. The church, the church can be a lot like Camelot. And if you know the story of Camelot, you know the story of the Knights of the Round Table. 
not, not the shirt like we talked about uh, last week, but the Knights of the Round Table with King Arthur and Camelot, the kingdom. Camelot in the story looked perfect from the outside. But on the inside, it was, there was, filled, it was filled with betrayal and adultery and murder and all this other junk. And here's the thing. If you create an environment of perfection or perceived perfection in the church, which is an absolute joke, by the way, I always tell people, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll ruin it. That's just true. But if you create an environment of perfection in church, then people start acting out Camelot. People start pretending because, because they have to be perfect if they're going to fit in into this perfect environment. For example, a married couple that, that they look good from the outside, but then, you know, I mean, you see then the husband puts his arm around his wife and kisses her. And then three weeks later, you find out there's a divorce and there's adultery in Camelot. We'd always, we always have to be gritty and honest to not get to that point. We, ha- we can't create a moral idea that's not real. We are sinners. Everybody in this room is a sinner that has been saved by grace. You've been made righteous, but we can't ever forget where we came from. Because if we forget who we were, we won't be thankful for who we are. We're all in need of Jesus. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's just, it's damning for us to create an environment where we have to pretend that we're okay. Here's, here's what I want you to know. The Bible says, tells a story. It tells how Jesus walks through Samaria and he gets exhausted. And he says, I'm tired. I'm going to sit here and rest a while. I want you to, and he, so he sits down. I want you to know if Jesus gets tired, so do you. It's okay. The Bible tells us that Jesus in the garden is overwhelmed to the point of death. And if Jesus gets overwhelmed to the point of death, so will you. And that's why the ideas of Sabbath and solitude are important because they enable us to hear our soul again. You have to pay attention to your heart. You have to know what's going on and pay attention to what's happening. Because if your heart's saying something's wrong and then you just stuff it down and ignore it, eventually it's going to kill you. It's going to implode. It's going to cave in. You can't ignore the wellspring of your life screaming out to you that that there's something wrong. And, And this is where pride is such an enemy because we want to think that we can fix it ourselves Pay attention to your heart because it's the wellspring of your life. Don't ignore it when when things are wrong. When you wake up at three in the morning and and you're wrestling with yourself, don't pretend that everything's okay and don't try to hide it from people around you thinking that you have to be perfect. Look at what he says next. Verse 13, he tells us to encourage one another. He says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, I want to start this one with an application that's not so obvious, all right? Because he says about encouraging one another. But I want to start from the other side of it. I think the first application is take the risk of being known well enough to receive encouragement. Take the risk of being known well enough to receive encouragement. The Bible just said, Know your heart and walk with others in enough honesty so that when you're struggling and when the dark night of the soul is upon you and when you're tired, when you're overwhelmed, when that at that moment, your brothers and sisters can come around you. They can love you. They can invite you into their home. They can provide for you. They can call you. They can care for you and they can hold you accountable. But here's the question. How can you ever be encouraged if you're lying? How can you ever be encouraged if you're not honest about what's going on in your heart. Do you see what I'm saying? If I'm hurting and I need encouragement, but I tell you that I'm fine, how can you ever encourage me in the moment where I need it? Do you see what I'm saying? 
How can you ever be encouraged if you have an opportunity um, to unpack your junk and instead of saying, this is where I'm really struggling, this is where I'm really hurting, this is what's going on inside of my heart, instead we throw a mask on and pretend that everything's okay. And when we do that, what happens is we end up with all of this pain and doubt and frustration and maybe even some anger. And we don't even know why we're angry or we don't even know who we're angry with, but, but, but we just go into that one place where we can be loved and we can be encouraged and we can be helped and we lie and we say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Encouragement, part of encouragement is, take, is about taking the risk of being well-known, known well enough. For, let me put it this way. To be known well enough so that even if I don't say it right off, off the bat, somebody can sense something is off. How many of you, you know, I, you can see this in your marriage probably. How many of you, when your spouse is uh, dealing with something, is uptight, worried about something, and they walk in, they don't even really have to say anything, and you know something's wrong. Anybody know? Anybody like that? Yeah. Because you know them. And so when something is bothering them, when something is heavy on their heart, you can see it before they even say it. This is what I'm talking about to become known enough to where people can see that something's off before I even say it. Encouragement is about taking the risk of being known, and it's, and it's hard. But not only is this part of the text about us taking the risk to be known, but, but the other side of it is, and this is really important, don't be so self-absorbed that you see nothing but yourself. This is a real temptation, especially when you're going through hard times, when you're wrestling with something. It's a really, it's really, really tempting for us to get so focused on what is going on in our own problems that we don't even see that there are people around us that are hurting as well. Pay attention to those around you so that you can see when they're running on fumes. And listen, you can see when people are on fumes. How many of you know words are powerful? Words are powerful, aren't they? Words are so powerful that I bet if you thought about it just for a few minutes here, you could probably think back to some moment, maybe even years ago, when somebody insulted you or they said something that wounded you deeply. And still to this day that you replay that in your head and you wish that you could go, go wish you could go back in time and handle it differently. Right. I mean, oh, I wish I would could go back. I would say this. I wish I could just I wish I would just just said this. Words, words are powerful. Words can devastate. If I set up a mic on, on the platform here and, and gave you the opportunity to come up, I guarantee that there would be story after story after story of those who would say life was going so well and there was all this energy and the day was going well and then this was said and it just destroyed me. Usually by somebody that you trust deeply. And I'm not just talking about people, you know, who weren't well trained by their by their parents, you know, you know, you know, the people like <laughs> people who walk up to you and say, man, you look awful. You look tired today. I just never really know what what you're supposed to do with that, because, especially when you feel fine. You know, it's like I thought I was doing pretty good, but I, you know, uh, I, I I would take a nap if I could. But I, I don't know. But thank you for telling me I look like trash today. I appreciate that. You know, uh, but I'm talking about hurtful, wicked things that have crushed us. People who have betrayed us. Words are powerful. Words can devastate. But on the other hand, have you ever had that person that just said something to you at just the right time? That energized you? Have you ever been in that place where you're just running on fumes and, and somebody that, that really, really loves you and you, you know that they really love you, they just give you that extended hug 
You know what I'm talking about? You, the, the extended hug where, where it makes you fight back the tears a little bit as they're holding you and, and you start to pull back and instead they squeeze you a little tighter because they know something's off even they don't know what's, where you're hurting. But, and, and they, if you, if they just given you a normal hug with a pat on the back and with, with guys, it's always three pats. I don't even notice that. It's like guys will hug you and you go, tur, tur, tur. but, uh, but then the, instead of doing that, they just, they keep hugging and there's that little squeeze that you have to fight back the tears. And you're like, why did you have to just hold on that extra second, man? I was, I'd have been all right, you know. But words are powerful. Words are powerful. You need to be aware of your words. You need to be aware that you can be the difference in a person pressing on to Christ and finding the full life or a person giving up. You can be the you can you can be the difference between a child that 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 thinks that they're no good and they're worthless and they can never be used by God to or or making the realization that God has his hand on them and God has a plan for them and God's going to do great things in them. Your words make a difference. Your words have power. There's something else going on in this text though. He tells us in that verse, don't let sin harden your heart. Don't let sin harden your heart. Now, let me try to explain how it, how it does it, specifically for those of us who know Jesus and are trying to walk with him. Imagine a person who wants to love Jesus. And they're, they're starting to grow in their relationship with Christ and they're praying and they're reading the scriptures and they're hanging out with people and they're being known and they're being honest. But in the midst of that process, there's this secret hit, hit sin, some, some hidden junk in their lives. And they try to deal with it on their, on their own. They deal, try to deal with it themselves. And so they try to keep it hid, hidden. What ends up happening is that all the energy and all the vitality given, us to, given to us to pursue and love Jesus gets shifted over into shame management. So that prayer time that, that was at one time, Father, help us to love the lost. Father, help me be an example of, of, of your life. Father, help me grow closer to you. And now that prayer time is replaced with right after we screw up. Father, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I don't want to do it anymore. Please help me with this. And, and, and so, so when, when prayer does happen, it always revolves around us saying we're sorry and that we won't do it anymore instead of actually talking about other things with the Lord. And all the energy that once went into this vibrant and passionate pursuit of Jesus now goes in to trying to manage the shame of our wickedness. And our prayers, be, uh, instead of being used to grow in Christ, become confessions of I'm sorry. And what ends up happening over the process of time is that a chasm begins to grow between you and God. And the heart begins to grow harder and harder and harder until you wake up one day and you may even say, ah, oh, forget it. He was never real. This, this is very similar to what happened to Samson. Samson insisted on doing things that God told him not to do. Now, the difference with Samson is that he didn't try to hide it. He just did it out in the open. But he continued to dabble with the sin and he continued to chase after these women that God said, no, that is not for you. I have something different for you. I have something better for you. And eventually you remember how the story goes. They, the, the Philistines were trying to get the secret of his strength. And, and every time he told them some, you know, fib said, no, this is how you do it. You tie me up with new ropes. That'll do it. Yeah, that's the ticket. And then, then they did that when he was asleep and he woke up and they woke him up and said, uh, they said, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, and he jumps up and he breaks the ropes and, you know, whips their tail. Well, finally, he finally confessed to Delilah. He said, listen, if I ever get my hair cut, I'm breaking my vow with God is what he was in essence saying. And my strength will be gone. And so he went to sleep. She cut his hair. He jumped up, 
she, they said, the Philistines are upon you. The Philistines are upon you. They're here. Get up. And he jumps up. And the Bible says he shook himself as before because he did not know that the Spirit of God had left him. See, that's a picture of this whole process of a hardening of a heart, of backsliding. It's that we keep playing with it. We keep dabbling with it. We never find victory over it. And then over time, pretty soon we get to the place where the Spirit of God has, has left us, that we're no longer in Christ, we're no longer saved, and we don't even know it and probably don't even care. That's how sin hardens the heart, a little bit at a time. I mean, nobody, nobody, you know, let me put it this way. I mean, no guy ever, you know, you know fell into adultery accidentally on the way to the grocery store. It was a process that led up to that for a long time. And that's how sin hardens the heart. Now, here's what's so amazing, because the Bible just said, simply by taking the risk of being known and having saints come alongside of us, our hearts may be kept from being hardened. Why is that? Because if I tell you, hey, this is an area of temptation with which I struggle, then every time we're together, you can, you can say, hey, how are you doing? I've been praying for you with this. If you, need, if you get tempted, you give me a call and I can find some strength and I can find some accountability in that process and our hearts will, will kept from being hardened. Simply by the encouragement and the love and the support of the saints. That, but here's the thing. They can't give that to me if they don't know I need it. One more thing. Look at verse 15. If we're going to work out our salvation with fear and trembling... It takes paying attention to the heart. It takes running the risk of being really known and not being so self-absorbed that we can't see others around us in their need. And it, and it takes not allowing sin to harden our heart. But here's the writer also tells us this. He says, when God speaks to you, follow him. When God speaks to you, follow him. Verse 15. And has just been said, today... If you hear, my, hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Now, let me stop right there. Remember, this is being written to Hebrews, to Jewish people. But, but I want you to hear what, what I'm saying to you. And this is true for every service you ever go into. If at some point today I've said something and you felt something begin to stir in you. If I said something and you thought, oh, man, he's like reading my mail. That's God speaking to your soul. When you're listening to some preacher and there's something said and you say, oh man, that's really, that really hits home. Or you feel there's something beginning to stir inside of you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you through that word. So let's read on verse 15. And has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Who, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were, were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he hang, angry for angry? Uh, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, those whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those to those who disobeyed? So here's what he's saying. If God speaks to you, follow him. Because if you don't, you're going to harden your heart like the Israelites did. Because that's who he's referring to here. Basically, he, he, he begins this reference to, he references this story where God brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt. And in doing that, if you remember, he destroyed the army of Egypt, the largest army in the world at the time. He brings them up into the promised land. And then he goes, I've got this land. Now you go take it. And what did they do? They, they send spies, right? You remember? They send spies and the spies come back. And what do they say? Ten out of the twelve spies say, no way. No, we can't do it. They're way too tall. They're way too big over there. And I imagine God saying, um, uh, excuse me. Uh, do you remember when I killed that big army? You remember that? The, the big one, the biggest one in the world? You remember that? Remember remember when I did that? Do you think maybe I could handle the tall people? 
And they're going, yeah, I guess you could, but I don't want to do it. God's like, you remember the frog thing? Remember the water into blood? You remember the death of everybody's firstborn son? You remember that? You, you do, do you know how easy that was for me? Why don't we just go do this? And the Israelites are, mm-mm, no, mm-mm. And God said that I'm going to make you wander the desert. And when all of you are dead, I'm going to take your kids into the promised land and I'm going to get the glory for it. Look at me. Hear this. If Jesus is wooing you towards healing in any area of your life and you harden your heart, he's going to escalate his activity in order to bring healing into your life. What do I mean by that? I mean, he's just not going to give up. If you harden your heart, if he's dealing with you and he's saying, man, you need help in this area. Let me help you. Open yourself up. Find the support of the body of Christ. And he's speaking to you about something in your heart and you harden your heart. He's going to begin to push it and he's going to push it harder and harder and harder. And he's going to try to deal with you. And, and, he, and, and that's just the reality of it because he loves you too much. It's like a parent. Any parent here ever have a prodigal that, that you just are not willing to give up on? Yeah. He loves you that much. The Bible says your sin will find you out. My mom used to quote that verse to me all the time. I got caught doing stuff all the time and I'd be like, man, I thought I got away with that. And she'd quote, be sure your sin will find you out. The Bible tells us that. And if you've got junk inside, if you're hiding secrets, if you're hiding these secret sins, I just want you to know, beep, you're on the clock. And some people, sometimes people will walk with these secrets for 10, 15, 20 years. And all that time, all the time of dealing with that, Jesus has been saying, come on, let's walk away from this. Let's heal. You know it doesn't satisfy you. You know the devastation. Look at how distant you and your spouse are right now. Look at how much hurt there is there. Look how much shame you have in your heart. Look how dirty you feel. Let's get out of here. Let's go to the deep end of the pool and heal. And we say, no, 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 no. There's no way I could confess that, that I'm weak in this area. It's too, it's too shameful for anybody to know. But know this, secret sins have a tendency to blow up on you. Healing can come at that point, after it blows up. It can come, but it will cost you so much more than it would if you just heeded the gentle call of Christ in the beginning. All right, so look at me when I say this. We need each other. We need each other. Listen, there are people, some people are not here because of the cold, because of ice on their streets, but other people are not here because maybe they're struggling. They need you. They need you to give them a call and just say, hey, I just want you to know you're on my heart. I want you to know I love you. I want you to know I'm praying for you. If you need anything, I'm here. We need each other. I need you. Because I need somebody to tell my heart to. Because if I ignore my heart, I'm going to end up someplace I don't want to go. Sometimes I need to be encouraged, and so do you. And let's face it, obedience, the right road, is is sometimes tough, isn't it? And I need some encouragement along the way to do the right thing. All this to say, you may have had a pretty amazing beginning. You know, you may have a story about an incredible salvation. But I think it's the ending that really matters, isn't it? Doesn't matter how strong I begin. What matters is, will I finish strong? And the only way I can finish strong is to make sure that my heart doesn't get hardened. The only way I can finish strong is to make sure that I pay attention to what's going on in my heart, that I don't, I don't make excuses for myself. You know, we do that all the time. You know what we do? We, we judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intent. Other people will say, oh, look what they did. Then we do the same thing. We say, well, I didn't mean to do that. I mean, that's not, I, I didn't intend that. And we give ourselves a pass and we, and we, we're just not honest with ourselves and, 
and we start making excuses for ourselves. And maybe instead of doing that, we need to just be honest, and find some help, find somebody that can pray with us, somebody that can hold us accountable. Let's learn from the church at Pergamum. Let's finish strong. Let's learn from Nicholas and say, I'm not going to go from the place of of being used by God to serve in the church, to serve the body of Christ, to just simply fading away and, and falling away and having a heart that's so hardened that I tell people, hey, live any way you want to. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm asking Jesus in this church to take us to the deep end of the pool. Because in the church in America, we got a lot of grown men waiting around in a kiddie pool, spiritually speaking. Just getting our ankles wet, and it's time to dive in. So I'm asking him to take us to the deep end of the pool, but, but the truth is, all of that is just rhetoric, it's just talk, if we don't take little steps of faith during the week. You know, here's the thing. I think a lot of us have this idea in our mind, and we say, this is the kind of man of God or the kind of woman of God I would like to be. And we, we see we're not there. How many, of you realize, how many of you realize you're not there yet? Let me see your hand. Okay, I'm not there yet. I'm not, most days I feel like I'm not even close. You know what I'm saying? Here's the thing. There is no way to take that one giant leap. It's about taking small steps every day. It's about 1% change. It's about letting him change one little thing. It's about changing my attitude towards something else. It's about finding a small place to serve. It's whatever it is. It's, it's small steps of faith that we take all through the week that, that gets us to where we want to go. And if we don't take those steps of faith, if we don't act on what he's saying to us, then it's nothing more than words and it does nothing to get us deeper into Jesus. So listen, I'm going to, as much as I can with whatever I have in me, I'm going to keep preaching my guts out. I'm going to do my best. And I know sometimes, some weeks, I listen, I get it. Some weeks, it's much better than others. I understand that. I try to do my best. It's every week is as good as I can do. And that's all I can say. And I apologize for the weeks where it's like, man, that was a stinker. And I have, there have been those that I've, I've felt like rolled off of the pulpit and landed on the, on the communion table and just sat there and just sort of throbbed a little bit. You know, I, I left the building thinking, Lord, you need to, you either need to heal it or kill it. One of the two. I don't know what's going on here. So I, I'm, but, but I'm going to keep doing my best. I'm going to keep trying to offer you the truth of the word. I'm going to do everything I can. But, but here's the thing. I, I, this is the most frustrating thing about ministry for me. And that is that I can't make decisions for you. I think it's also the frustration of every parent. I can't do that. But each of us can begin to take these little scary steps. Of, uh, of saying, oh, my heart's kind of dark. My heart's really hurting right now. Or my soul is tired. To tell somebody, man, I'm just so worn out. I just don't, I just don't know how I'm going to make it. And to be honest, instead of, instead of feeling like I have to be okay, I want to say it very clearly. Restoration Life Church is a place where it's okay to not be okay. All right? I want you to hear that again. This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Because the truth is, we're all in that place, probably in one area of our life or another. It's okay if you're hurting. It's, it's okay if, if your life is a shambles in one area. If it's, it's okay if you're struggling in your devotional life. It's okay, it's okay if you're struggling in your prayer life. We are not here to judge you. We're here to help encourage you in that. So it's okay. It's okay to take those little scary steps. It's okay to say, man, I'm, I'm angry. And I don't even know what I'm angry at or who I'm angry, uh, who I'm angry with. But you'll need to be the one to swallow your pride and take off the mask. We need each other if we ever hope to become what Jesus wants us to be. If we want to finish strong, 
We're not going to do it alone. If you want to finish strong in your walk with the Lord, you're not going to do it as a Lone Ranger Christian. We need each other. And I want to say this. I'm not saying any of this stuff is easy. In fact, I find that nothing, <laughs> seems like nothing in life that is worth anything is easy. It takes work. But I say this is a necessary battle. And I pray that we have the courage to, to look de deep down into our hearts today and say, Lord, I want to finish strong. So help me to open up. Help me to find encouragement when I need it. And then also to say, Lord, help me to be an encourager to those that are around me. Let's finish strong. Let's finish strong. Let's pray together. Father, as I come into your presence today, I, I, I've done my best. I've, I've, Lord, I, as, as often I feel like I have really not presented it the best that it could be, and I'm sure there are many other preachers out there that could have done it much better, but God, I've done what I can do. And the good thing for me, the good news for me, God, is that it's not up to me. It's not up to my ability. It's not up to how good I am. But it's about your power. It's about how good you are. It's about your ability to take words and, and make them come alive in our hearts and to challenge us and your spirit speaking to us at, at, the, at the deepest levels of the human heart. And God, if there's anybody here today that would look at their lives First of all, God, help us to pay attention to our hearts. And as we look there, Lord, if there's, if there's a sin there that we're struggling with, I pray, God, that we would have the courage to find somebody that we trust, somebody that will help us, somebody that we know loves us, and we'll be honest with them and say, I'm really struggling. And God, I pray for that person that they would respond not with shock, not with awe, but simply with love and say, hey, we all need help. God, I pray you'd help us to realize how much we need each other. We live in such a, an independent society. But God, the truth is we are so interconnected that we need each other desperately. God, we want to finish strong, but if we're going to finish strong, we, we can't let our hearts harden. We have to pay attention to what's going on in there. And God, I pray that you'd help us to find that, that, that freedom that you have for us by being, by being part of the body of Christ. Not pretending, not, not wearing the mask, not trying to create an atmosphere where everybody thinks they have to be perfect or they're going to stick out like a sore thumb. But God, that we would truly be a place where it's okay not to be okay. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I don't know where you are. But if there's anybody here who would say, Pastor Dave, I, this is what I feel the Lord lead me to say right now. You'd say, Pastor Dave, I've been struggling. I'm soul tired. I'm exhausted emotionally, spiritually. I'm struggling in this and I, I've tried to play the part of a good soldier, but I just need prayer today. If that's anybody in this room, would you slip your hand up right where you are? Yeah. Yeah, there's, listen, I'm here to tell you. If you raise your hand, not only are you not the only one, but there's probably at least half of us. But here's the good news. There are people all around you, the Holy Spirit is put there. And if you'll let them in, you're going to find such strength because the body of Christ is there to support one another. And of course, the ultimate healing comes from Jesus. And I, I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that the Lord will encourage your heart, that He'll send the right people at the right time to say the right thing, and, and that through His Word, that you'll, you'll break through whatever is going on and that you will be encouraged and that you'll finish strong. So I want to pray for you. And listen, you don't, know, you don't know who raised their hand in this place, so would you just pray for the person on either side of you? Because they might have raised their hand. They might be struggling and hadn't had the courage to tell you. But let's pray. Father, you saw every hand that's raised. 
And God, there are people in this room that are just exhausted, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, they're exhausted. And I can't help but think of your, ver- of your word where you said that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God, I pray that they would find strength in you and that you would use the body of Christ around them to be a source of encouragement. God, that they would be willing to be open enough and honest enough with somebody that they love, that they trust. And God, that that person would respond with such such Holy Spirit wisdom and Holy Spirit love that they would be encouraged today, God. Lord, you, you know where we are. And the good news is when we're hurting, when we're struggling, you never leave us behind. You never abandon us. God, I pray you would strengthen, you would empower so that we could finish strong. Help us as a church, help us as individuals to to finish strong, God. You've done great things. You've started us in powerful ways, but God, we don't want to just let this race wane and jog to the end. God, help us to finish with everything we've got. And Lord, help us as we take little steps of faith every week. Lord, maybe it's one thing this whole week that you want to do in our lives. God, speak to us and show us what it is. And just, Lord, help us to take those little steps of faith. And as we do, God, remind us that we're moving forward, that you're changing us, that you're at work. We give you praise for all of these things. And Lord, I pray as as we prepare to head from this place, that you would just go before us. There are people around us that are hurting. Help us not to be so self-absorbed that we don't see them, but help us to be sensitive to them and sensitive to your spirit so that we can be a hand reaching out, that we can be a hug when it's needed, we can be a voice of encouragement. Just use us this week, God. And Lord, for those that are, that are not here today, and it's not because of the weather, but because they're struggling, I pray, God, that you would help us as, as the body of Christ to reach out, to love them, to encourage them. And, and God, that you would use us to draw them back in. We give you praise for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.